we're finishing up our series on Ephesians. I have loved this series. I've just loved it. It has been the, my favorite preaching series ever. Uh, I have just marveled at the gospel condensed into such uh, glorious and pithy <laughs> statements by the Apostle Paul. Many say that, uh, that Ephesians was Paul's last book. So he'd already kind of worked out these glorious truths of the gospel, and, he, and in Ephesians he's just summarizing and packing them. Uh, so um, if you've missed these sermons, hey, good news is they're all online. You can go catch up. Uh, and I, I just have found them to be so powerful. So we're finishing the series, and we're also finishing a, a message on the armor of God that we began last week. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, last week we looked at verses 10 to 13, sort of the introductory remarks about the fact that, number one, we're in a spiritual battle. Like it or not, you can't say time out, you can't bury your head in the sand, you can't put pause. Uh, we have an enemy of our soul who's hell-bent on harming us spiritually, and he doesn't sleep. Uh, sometimes, we feel like the epicenter of the battle is that we're in the epicenter and the, the battle, the thick of things is just raging all around us. Sometimes we feel a little bit like the, like the battle's moved a little far away from us, but we just never know how things are going to work out. And so we need to always, always be on guard. Let our guard down and we might fall. And so what is winning? What's the goal for the Christian? The goal is to stand, Paul says. Uh, take up the full armor of God so that you may stand, so that you may withstand in the evil day. And when you've done all that, you may stand. So what is stand? It means you remain in the fight until the end. And the evil one, the evil one wants to, number one, keep people from God. And if he can't do that, he wants to keep people from all that God has for us. And so when it comes to a Christian, the evil one is trying to hamstring us so that we won't live a victorious Christian life and uh, enjoy God fully and actually, uh, you know, bring other people to Christ. The schemes of the devil are many, and he's had thousands of years of messing with humans to perfect those schemes, and he's wildly successful, in fact, the Bible says the majority of people are on the path to destruction. And so he's winning this battle in the lives of so many. If, we, if it were left to us to fight the spiritual battle, we would fall. We have not the power in ourselves to fight against the forces of evil. But the good news is that God forges and furnishes his armor for us. God strengthens us with his strength to fight the battle. And so we actually, despite the great power of our enemy, we don't actually have to be afraid if we will strengthen ourselves in the Lord, if we will put on the full armor of God, we will stand. We will be victorious. But we have to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We have to put on the full armor of God. And so today we're going to be looking at the actual pieces of the armor. And it's important, every one of these pieces is important, but it's when we 
make use of all of them when we put them all on that we are truly protected from the evil one and fully furnished for this fight. Now, Paul, when he writes Ephesians, is actually chained to a Roman soldier. So I'm sure he had lots of opportunity to you know, look at the armor, think about the armor, and think about the Christian soldier and the spiritual armor with which to wage the spiritual battle against the devil and his forces. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 14. By the way, I called Party World and asked if they would rent me a Roman soldier outfit, and they said, no, COVID, we don't rent costumes. So I'm sorry. Once again, COVID has stolen the fun from our lives. Wouldn't you like to? Yeah. Okay. Verse 14. Stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt held the sword, and the belt kind of held everything tightly together, and you could, uh, it, there, there are some leather pieces that hung off the belt that protected the groin, and you could also wrap your tunic up into your belt if you uh, wanted to be less encumbered and move faster. And... For the Christian, truth holds everything together. It's truth that we build our lives upon. And our God is a God of truth. God is light in Him. There is no darkness at all. We claim to have fellowship with Him, but walk in the darkness. We lie and the truth is not in us. Christian people are to be people of truth. We are to be truthful people. I have, uh, I have taken this to heart. I'm pretty ruthless with myself when it comes to truth. And it's scary. It's scary to put aside deception and hiding and to, to just rigorously force yourself to deal only with the truth and to say, I will not lie in order to manage my reputation. I will not lie to get myself out of a tricky situation. I will not lie to protect the feelings of other people. God deals in the truth. I am his child. I will deal only, only in the truth. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says about the devil. Actually, he says this to some Pharisees who were giving him a hard time. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. When we lie, we're acting like the devil, the father of lies. When you choose to dabble in deception, uh, you open yourself up, up to spiritual attack. You will fall. If you, play, if you play with lies, you will fall spiritually. It's just that simple. Do not lie. Do not lie. One of the Ten Commandments, just say to yourself, I won't lie. <laughs> and I'm going to trust God to take care of me when... The exposure of my failures is embarrassing and, and hurts. 
But there's something else that's super important uh, for uh, the Christian today, and that is just the, this basic idea that there is such a thing as truth. It's definitely popular today to doubt the existence of truth in the realms of religion and morality. Yeah, there's truth in mathematics. Yes, there's truth when you are uh, talking about the natural world, but eh, if there even is a spiritual reality, uh, which many doubt, how do we even know? And so like Pontius Pilate, the cynic asks, what is truth? And then with that question, dismisses the possibility of knowing truth. As Christians, we believe in truth. We believe there is a spiritual reality. By the way, what is our definition of truth? That which corresponds with reality. Christians, we're interested in what is real. And, it, and there is a real. We, ex we believe that there is a spiritual truth, and we believe that that truth is knowable because God has revealed it to us out of his love for us. Now, he doesn't reveal everything. The Bible is very clear that God keeps for to himself uh, many mysteries. But he has revealed to us enough that we might have a relationship with him and might live a life that pleases him. And so how vulnerable is a Christian who begins to doubt that there is, in fact, truth or that that truth is knowable. And so for all of you who were recently in college, you know what I'm talking about. There is a, there is a determined effort uh, on the part of educators, and I would back that up and say on the part of the demonic, to sow seeds of doubt to this fundamental idea that truth exists, spiritual truth exists, moral truth exists, and so they, they have all kinds of fancy words and all kinds of sophisticated arguments to cause us to, to doubt at the end of the day whether or not the Bible is in fact telling us the truth and that this is something we can build our lives upon. So, truth is the belt that holds it all together. We cannot, cannot give up a belief in truth. So I have affirmations in your bulletin for each of these points. I'm going to read this out loud, and then we're, I'm going to read it again. And, and the second time, I'm going to ask that you say it out loud with me, if you're willing to affirm this for yourself. Here's the affirmation. I can stand against the father of lies by grounding myself in biblical truth and by being a truthful person. If you're willing to take that for yourself, let's say it together. I can stand against the father of lies by grounding myself in biblical truth and by being a truthful person. So first, the belt of truth. Then, he says, also in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The soldier wore a breastplate to protect the vital organs. And oftentimes it was both front and back because sword thrusts could come from any direction. Righteousness. How does the righteousness uh, of how does righteousness keep us uh, from the vital organs getting hit? In Revelation chapter twelve, verse ten, Satan is described as the accuser of the brethren. Verse ten, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying. 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan, day and night, is pointing out the sins of God's people. He's he's commenting on your weaknesses and your failures. And he's not making them up, is he? (laughs) Because we have a whole lot to be accused of. And so he's saying, God, don't you see what Mike just did? Don't you see what Heidi just did? How can you stay in relationship with him like that? After that, why do you still love him? Why do you still use him? And so God's up there, but he's been thrown down. He's not getting anywhere with God. God's God's not listening to him. Why? Because in Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34, we read this. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So yeah, the accusers up there pointing out their weaknesses, our weaknesses, and then Jesus says, "Yeah, but guess what? He's mine. She's mine. And I died to pay the penalty for those sins. They're clothed in my righteousness. And so we're good." And I've told this story many times how as a young man I came to understand that God accepts me not because of my performance, but because of Christ's performance, which was perfect. And I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and it changed my prayer life. And I I began to pray. I would start my prayers and say, God, I'm coming into your presence. You say I can come boldly into your presence. So I do, not because I am worthy. I'm not worthy, but because Christ is worthy, and, and you have clothed me in his righteousness. So it's in the righteousness of Christ that I stand and I pray. And then I would start to pray. And it, it calmed my prayer life because up until then, it, you know, I, I kind of felt my relationship with God was like this, depending on my perception of my performance. And then it calmed and became steady because I realized my relationship with God is dependent upon Christ's finished work, his perfect righteousness, not my performance. Tremendously freeing truth. Own that for yourself. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And, uh, you know, the evil one doesn't get anywhere with God, but he does often get somewhere with us, doesn't he? Because he's also in our ear saying, look what you just did. God can't love you. God can't use you. Give up. You're never going to be victorious. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness and say, nope, that's not true. I've confessed my sins. He is faithful and just. Forgive me my sins, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit is in me and can help me win the next time. And then, of course, it doesn't hurt to grow in grow in righteousness, right? Practically, to grow in sanctification, to become more and more like Jesus. Let's give the evil one less ammo with which to accuse us. <laughs> so here's the affirmation for the breastplate of righteousness. I can stand up to the accuser by putting on the righteousness of Christ and by doing 
what is right. Let's say that together. I can stand up to the accuser by putting on the righteousness of Christ and by doing what is right. So we've got the, we've got the belt of truth. We've got the breastplate of righteousness. And now we have the shoes or the boots. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What I want you to notice there is it's not the gospel that we put on, it's the readiness that we put on. Uh, so the Roman soldier wore uh, a type of leather sandal and, it, and they had um, some kind of metal embedded on the soles. And that was very important. It actually enabled the Roman army to move faster than any other army. And when they were in the midst of the melee, they could hold their ground. So this is talking about the Christian on mission, taking the gospel to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers. Giving the gospel of way, away is one of the best ways of experience experiencing its power in your own life. Let me say that again. Giving the gospel away is one of the best ways to experience the power of the gospel in your own life. Because as you begin to share with other people the, the truths of God's love for them in Jesus Christ and the promises of God in the scriptures, uh, one thing is you, you begin to see God working through those glorious truths in the lives of other people. You are taking risks, and, and you will feel the help of the Lord with you. Uh, when, very often when people come to me and they're like, Mike, I just feel sort of spiritually stagnant. I'm in a, a spiritual malaise. Oh, I, I prescribe for them ministry. <laughs> you know, Yeah, do more personal devotions, but get out there. Get out there and begin to talk about Jesus. Share the gospel with people. Lead a Bible study. Ask people how you can pray for them. Start being external, being on mission. And you know what? Uh, you'll put yourself in a place of need, and God will come and meet that need, and it will revive you spiritually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we read this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I want you to, to insert there, I am an ambassador for Christ, because it's true of you, not just the preacher. You're an ambassador when you are uh, telling someone about your faith in Jesus and what God is doing for you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And we all do that. We should be doing that. We have that incredible privilege of being ambassadors of heaven. God speaking through us to other people. That's an incredible privilege. What a, uh, what a, what a life opportunity and responsibility. The gospel is the good news that God purchased peace by the death of his son, and he offers it to sinners who believe in Jesus. The gospel is the good news that God purchased peace through the death of his son, and he offers it to sinners who accept Jesus. So here's the affirmation about the gospel of peace. By the way, uh, what is it? What is it said? The, uh, 
the best defense is a good offense. And one of the reasons, uh, you know, when we're sharing the gospel and bringing other people to faith in Christ, well, then the, the forces of evil have more enemies to contend with, and so it puts them on the defensive. So here's the way I put this affirmation. I can put the devil on the defensive by sharing the gospel with others. Let's say that together. I can put the devil on the defensive by sharing the gospel with others. Now we come to the shield of faith, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The Roman soldier's shield was quite large, about four feet high and two feet wide, and, and they often covered the shield with an animal skin. And before battle, they would soak those shields in water because the enemies often liked to uh, fire uh, flaming arrows at them. Uh, but when the arrow hit that skin, especially a, a wet skin, it would smother out the fiery darts of the enemy. Satan loves to shoot his fiery darts right where in, when we're in the midst of a trying circumstance. He doesn't like to waste his arrows, so he waits to a strategic moment when we are uh, vulnerable to the lie that God isn't going to take care of us. God isn't going to fulfill his promises. Yes, God tells me I shouldn't do this, but it, my circumstance is different than ever, every other human on the planet throughout history. And so I don't need to obey God this time. Right? He waits until we're in that circumstance. He lets fly his fiery dart, which, which then puts us at spiritual risk. But if we will take up that shield of faith, we can quench, we can smother, we can put out that fiery dart. Maybe you are in one of those circumstances right now. We will almost certainly be in this type of a situation multiple times in our lives uh, where we're tempted to doubt God. Take up the shield of faith. And so what is faith? Faith is just trusting your heavenly Father to do what He said He'll do. It's the end of the day. The Bible is full of what the Scriptures call great and glorious promises. They are great and glorious. And there are many of them. In fact, they're almost fantastical how incredible they are. And in that trying circumstance, God says, you take up that shield of faith and you trust that I will make good on my promises. I'll do what I said I'm going to do. I am the God I said I am. You can trust me. I'll take care of you. I might not Take care of, I might not take care of the circumstance the way you would want me to. What did Paul say? Sabrina read that in 2 Corinthians. Three times I asked God, change my circumstance, right? Remove this thorn. Three times, God, change my circumstance. It's not a problem to pray that. You Feel free to pray that. God, I don't like this circumstance. Please take me out of it. Please resolve it. And he might do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what Paul said, and here's, here's Paul, right? 
the great apostle whom God was clearly pleased with, and, and God said, no, I'm not going to change your circumstance. I'm going to empower you to go through your circumstance in faith. In other words, Paul, take up your shield of faith and trust me. My grace is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. I can empower you to be faithful through this hard circumstance. It, oh, it's, it, uh, it, it, on a positive, it so inspires me as a pastor when I see the men and women of God taking up the shield of faith in the hard circumstance. And, and it encourages all of us. Absolutely. We look and we see our brothers and sisters trusting their Heavenly Father in the midst of a hard circumstance, and we are all encouraged. And then there, then there are the Christians who their faith, it, it, it's, ship, it's getting shipwrecked because of a circumstance, and it's so frustrating because you just think, no, you don't have to, you don't have to be hopeless. You don't have to be powerless. You don't have to be running into sin. You could trust your Heavenly Father and be victorious and overcome in this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The evil machinations of the enemy are smothered by an active faith. So here's the affirmation. I can extinguish the enemy's flaming darts by letting God's promises be the final word. Say that together. I can extinguish the enemy's flaming darts by letting God's promises be the final word. And now the hem helmet of salvation, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. So the helmet protected the soldier from, you know, those glancing blows up to the head that would give them a concussion or make their uh, thinking fuzzy. It also, spiritually, uh, keeps us from giving into fear and running from the battlefield, right? That's one of the, one of the things that generals are most nervous about is, is the soldier concluding on his own, the battle is lost and I'm going to save my skin and run. Well, when we take up the helmet of salvation, we are being reminded that Christ has already won the victory. The battle has already been won. And so the helmet of salvation gives us courage and hope in the battle. And that's absolutely important. Earlier in this letter, in Ephesians chapter 2, we read the about the glorious truth that uh, our salvation it depends not on our own works, but on the grace of God. And so we read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so the salvation helmet we put on is, is the assurance that I have been saved once for all, I am being saved by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The salvation that is mine is being worked out in my life. So I'm becoming set, 
set free from the presence and the power of sin more and more. And then eventually I will be saved fully when either when I die and I get to go be with Jesus or when Christ returns and uh, and he does away with this this broken world. I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved in in experiential fullness. And that's a helmet we walk around. So we're in a battle, but we're like, you know what? Even if I die, have I really lost? Right? What can the you know, what can the evil one do to me? He can kill the body, but we don't fear the one who can kill the body. We fear the one who can kill the soul. And uh, so death itself isn't the, it's the final enemy. It's not victory. So on Friday, as, uh, as we were uh, remembering Dave Mulholland, uh, laced, just laced throughout that ceremony is this hope that we have this assurance that Dave has finished the battle, right? He, he fought that battle so well, and it was testimony after testimony of what a, what a faithful soldier of Christ he was. But the, for him, the battle's over. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's with the Lord. Paul says, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain, you know, I'll be content while I live in this in this world because God's with me and he's got a purpose for me. But when I get a chance to get to heaven, that's better. And that's where Dave is. And so we cannot lose. See, the helmet of salvation says, I can't lose the fight. Even if I'm killed, it's not victory for him. It's victory for me. And boy, that just, that just fills us with confidence uh, our entire lives. So here's the way I, I put this affirmation. I can stay confident in the battle by remembering that Jesus has already won the victory. Say that again. Together. I can stay confident in the battle by remembering that Jesus has already won the victory. Final piece of equipment for the soldier is the sword. This is the offensive, uh, the piece of offensive weaponry, and it is the Word of God. Take the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so for the Romans, it actually was a, the short sword that was very effective uh, when they fought all together. So it is the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, that are the offensive weapon in the spiritual battle. Uh, we read... In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, we read this. Starting in verse 4, actually. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
By the way, who are we attacking with the sword? Not humans. Humans are set free. We are attacking the lies of the evil one. So Satan, through deception, builds strongholds and, uh, and lofty ideas that are um, lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God and arguments. And the word of God tears down those strongholds, exposes them for the lies that they are. And then the scales fall off people's eyes and they see the gospel for the good news that it is for them. And then they come to Christ and they're set free from their slavery to the kingdom of darkness. And the evil one hates the word of God because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and you were set free by the word of God and I was set free by the word of God and millions and millions and millions have been set free from the kingdom of darkness by the word of God. The mission of the church is absolutely critical for the spiritual health of the world. Timothy says that the church is the pillar and bulwark of truth. It is the church globally. Clearwater Church is just one of thousands and thousands and thousands of churches that are faithfully proclaiming the word of God. We hold up truth in the world. And if the church fails to do that, who else is going to hold it up? And so the mission of the church is a critical mission. The local church is the hope of the world. I do believe that. And, and it's yes, it's from the pulpit, but it's also in the, our Bible studies. And it's when we share biblical truth with other people. Every time we turn somebody's attention to what God has said, there's a power there. There is a, a, a breakdown of the forces of evil, their strongholds, and there is the real potential that a soul can be set free. So, know the word of God and wield the word of God in love. And then see what God will do. So there are the six pieces of the armor of the Christian soldier, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, Boots ready with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But one last thing in the text I want to point out, and that is the power of prayer. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray at all times, with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now here's the question, the, the last challenge I want to leave you with. What if we replace the sum that is so characteristic of our current prayer life with the all that Paul uh, suggests or commands, right? Uh, I know for myself, I pray some of the time, right? What if I began to pray all of the time? And I used to get tripped up about this, probably being overly literal uh, when I was younger. I'm like, how can I pray all the time when I have to go also work and do other things? Well, you know what? He's talking about a life of prayer. 
where you're just, you're living in a, a communal relationship with God. You just live, you live your life uh, aware of God, in relationship with God, talking to God, asking for his help, declaring your dependence. In fact, that's just such a, it's such an absolutely critical um, posture for the spiritual life. Depend, I'm dependent on God. And if I really believe that, why would I miss opportunities to ask God for help and, and to say, boy, God, I need your wisdom. Ah, Lord, would you help my friend? Oh, that's so tragic. Lord, please be there powerfully. And you're just, you're going through life. God, thank you for this. This is such a, thank you for this uh, sweet opportunity. You know, it was Dylan Robertson, who uh, young, well, young, he's in his 30s now, but felt young to me. I'm 49, by the way. <laughs> so old now. But Dylan, this guy, he was just thanking the Lord. And I was already a pastor, and he's living with me. And I'm like, this guy is, does he really mean what he says? Because he is constantly talking to God out loud. Um, but it's inspiring. And I'm like, you know what? That's right. And he's thanking God for everything. And sometimes I think, does God really care about that? Well, I guess he does. <laughs> and, and so I'm growing in this, and we need to just grow in this so that we become more and more about prayer all the time in our lives. And it that, that type of a relationship with God is critical to empowering our spiritual battle. So let's pray and thank the Lord for his armor and let's commit ourselves to strengthening ourselves in the Lord and putting on the full armor of God. Uh, we just marvel week after week after week, marvel about your truth, God a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for caring enough about us that you have revealed yourself to us ultimately in the person of your Son, Jesus, and you have granted us uh, your truth that we can uh, study and learn from and we can build our lives upon. And so, Lord, we say no to the temptation of burying our heads in the sand, closing our eyes and acting like we're not in a spiritual battle. We accept by faith that we are, that we have an enemy of our soul. And we, we choose once again to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the full armor of God. Thank you, God, for forging and furnishing us your armor to be victorious in this spiritual battle. We put it on in Jesus' name. Amen.